Hello everyone and welcome back to the Misunderstood World Podcast. I'm your co-host Bill. I'm your co-host Dylan. And I'd like to welcome everyone back to this another long episode, longish episode actually, of um, where me and Dill pick a topic because, you know, we didn't have a guest this week, so me and Dill pick a topic and we talk about it. Isn't that right, Dill? Yes, yeah, it's a very interesting topic today. Would you like to introduce it, Bill, as it's your topic? I would. It's a topic I picked today and it's what is, was Hitler on drugs? So let's start off, I think, Dill, with a little facts about the Nazi party in general. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'll start. Give so the, so the Nazi Party, also known as the National Socialist German Workers Party, the NSDAP, the National Socialist Socialized Deutsche Arbeiter Party, or the National Socialized Deutsche Party Party. Anyway, that they're they had a lot of names, and the. Uh, they originally started in 1919, and they lasted until 1945, as you know, until the war yeah. finished. So, their main areas of involvement was anti-Semitism and nationalism. So, Dil, um, I think you'd be quite good to explain this, actually. What, for the listeners, why don't you explain what anti-Semitism is and nationalism is? So um, anti-Semitism is someone who who has a um, who is discriminative on hatred towards um, the Jewish people or the people of Judaism. However, that means they um, that means that their nationalities are Jews, or if they are a practicing um, Jewish person, they have an ir- irrational hatred towards them and discrimination against them. Um, nationalism, that is when, that's what people get a bit confused with patriotism. It's where you're, you're, you're very much in favour for your country, but you, you take it sort of too far almost. Um, you have like, um, you believe that your country is the best and uh, you don't like, you believe your, your country's superior. I don't know the exact definition of nationalism. Actually, I'll probably, uh, Google it actually. Um, I'll just get it for you now. So nationalism, nationalism is identity, identification with one's own nation and support of its interests, especially to exclude or determine the interests of other nations. So, in other words, if you're a nationalist, you believe it's your country first, and um, your country is actually better than other country. And um, you probably are quite against immigration because you want your country to remain pure and stuff like that. And your culture, yeah. you want your culture to remain the same. And you're probably not very, you're probably against sort of like diversity or a mix of different cultures. Yeah. And uh, an example of another nationalist party is the BNP, isn't it? The British Nationalist yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. That's on the... Um, in the UK. Yeah, for listeners who don't know who the BMP is, that's the British Nationalist Party, is what Bill said. Um, they're very similar to, um, basically, they're racist, in other words, they're on the right. Um, they're not that big now. They were quite big in the 80s with the skinheads and the uh, boots. Uh, but they're not so big now, but they wanted Britain to sort of, you know, get rid of the um, immigration of sort of West Indian immigration and Indian immigration. So keep British Britain for white people, because they were saying that with the mix and the diversity of Britain, and it was, it, it was taking out the English Englishmen of England. Obviously that's a load of rubbish, but yeah, that's what their sort of belief is. Yeah. And you know, some of them views, 
parallel like pretty much to the Nazi party as well. So there is, yeah, some, say so, there is yeah. there's a lot of, you know, there's, there, I'm going to list some names here of people that uh, the listeners will definitely recognize who are um, high up in the Nazi party and leaders of the national, of uh, the <laughs> national socialist German workers party, also known as the national, uh, the Nazi party. So obviously Adolf Hitler, um, yeah. Hermann Goring, Adolf yeah. Eichmann, Heinrich mm. Himmler, Mm. Uh, he was a bad man, Heimer Kimmler. He was probably yeah. the, he was the ones that controlled all the uh, concentration camps. Yeah. He put oh, them in place. Joseph uh, Dykrich. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm buttering these names here, like because mm. I, I wouldn't, you know, Martin Bormann, Gottfried Fide, Fritz Thiessen, Erich Ludendorff. <laughs> Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels, yeah. Goebbels, yeah. Yeah, he was the Nazi propaganda minister, he was. I think he was also in charge of the Air Force. Right. Oscar Schindler. Is that it's from Schindler's Schindler's list? That guy, or am I just be, you know. am I just getting that wrong? Like, is this is no, that where it, Schindler's list has come from? It could be, you know. Yeah, I never watched it though. I never, I've watched, never watched it. it. What's it about again, Schindler's list? Oh, uh, it's it's not nice. It's about uh, basically it's about this Jewish mother who have um, two daughters. And she has to pick one of the daughters to get executed by the Nazis, basically. For uh, right. I'd say that's what it is then. I reckon that's where the yeah. name Ossa Schindler came from. I'll double Wait, check no, in a second. No, no, that's, that's Sophie's choice. I don't know. I, I thought I was Schindler's list. I'm not too sure what it's about. One sec, one sec. Let me just, uh, for, just let me, let's have a look there. Let's see what she Yeah, let's have a look. I think, I think it was that or, you know. Uh, Schindler's List is a 1993 American epic historical drama film directed and produced by Steven Spielberg and written by Steven Z- Zylan. It is based on the 1982 novel Schindler's Ark by Australian novelist Thomas uh, Keneally. The film follows, yeah, Oscar Schindler, yeah, a German industrialist who saved more than a thousand mostly Polish Jewish referees, uh, uh, refugees yeah. from the Holocaust by employing them in his factories during World War II. Oh, he actually helped them. That's interesting. Yeah. I, we should watch that, you know. It's um, Liam Neeson stars as the Schindler. Really? I'd say what we could yeah, do, we, we could watch the show and review it on the podcast. I'm sure this is yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, we should. And then also we had uh, Reinhard uh, Heydrich, Carl Schmidt, I've heard of him. Uh, Amon Gott and Carl Otto Koch. Uh, Koch. So, uh, yeah. Um, also, so did you know the Nazis offered a bounty for Albert Einstein's assassination? Did you know? Yeah, because he was a Jewish. Um, he, I didn't know they offered him a bounty, but he was a Jewish um, scientist. Was he from Austria, uh, Einstein, or Germany? No, I'm pretty sure it's from Germany, actually. Let me just uh, quickly. For yeah, the I'm listeners and for ourselves, um, he was now he's German born, yeah, German oh, born. All right, yes, yeah, so that he was makes, born in makes then. Yeah, he was born in uh, the fourteenth of March, eighteen seventy nine, in the Kingdom of Württemberg, German Empire, and died. 
So Dale, maybe because it was it was the German Empire at that time, and so maybe it was uh, modern day Austria. Could have been, yeah. I'm not it sure. Been, but yeah, he died 18th of April 1955 in the US. But yeah, no, they offered. Um, I can't. Let me see when he went to America. <laughs> Ah, yeah, 1933, he moved to America. So, obviously, they they thought that he betrayed the German Empire and whatever, and obviously, that's why they offered... He was Jewish, though, as well, wasn't he? Yeah, so, obviously, for him, obviously, he was the smartest man in, on Earth as well. So, obviously, there would have been a big, big bounty on his head, like, because, yeah. you know, they've gone against everything. He's basically gone against everything. So, and also, the Nazis, the Nazi regime promoted the use of methamphetamines among its soldiers. Yeah, I, I found out quite an interesting article here um, for the re- research and that. It was for the, um, it was for the uh, war on fr- uh, the um, invasion of France. Uh, let me have a look. Oh, yes. Yeah, so basically it was called, um, basically it was, it was basically a, a fetamine. So it's basically crystal meth. That's what it was um, to keep, it was to keep uh, the soldiers awake, basically, uh, to keep them going. So a military doctor called Otto Rank experimented with pervits or pervits on ninety uni stu- university students, um, and what they found out was is that they could stay awake for days at a time. So they thought, oh, we can use that on the front line, um, in the military. So when soldiers are marching, mar- mar- marching, they could use that. Um, in it, it was issued in April nineteen forty. The second one, it was called a stimulate, stimulate. Uh, sorry, yeah. Stimulant degree de- decree and um, basically fifty five million tablets of pervits and isofan, a slightly modified version by the Krolf, a pharmaceutical company of the pills, were given to Nazis for in um, bit. Sorry, I'm trying to pronounce it. Uh, Belserig, which was the invasion of France, and through the Ardennes uh, mountain. Um, so yeah, they used these uh, pills on the Nazi shoot soldiers in the invasion of France to uh, keep going, basically, because it was basically like meth to keep them awake, like the caffeine. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's ma- and like that's modern history. That's not yeah, that's yeah, only yeah. seventy five years ago. Like, imagine a, co- a country nowadays drugging up all their soldiers to, to you know to carry on fighting and not feel pain and all. I, know, so. I think that's it's not against human rights. I've yeah, I think it's, yeah, yeah. Human, human rights, you know, against yeah. that. Yeah. And then yeah. um, before deciding on his final solution, Adolf Hitler considered deporting the Jews to Madagascar. And obviously, uh, we know the final solution was to kill the Jews in the end, wasn't it? Though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I didn't know he just considered the, deporting them to uh, Madagascar. That that's such a weird thought to have. Uh, it's a bit like it's a bit like Swilla Bremerham deporting the refugees to uh, um, where is it Rwanda or Prince Patel deporting them to Rwanda, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, why? What is it about deporting people to Africa? You know, I don't know. I don't know. To spread pop- propaganda, the Nazi regime created a jazz band called Charlie and His Orchestra. Yeah, I reckon they just toured around, either going from city to city. Obviously, singing songs about uh, Germans and how good they are, or they're like well, the jazz, jazz band you, going around yeah. to uh, soldiers in the camps singing to them. Yeah, 
Well, to be honest with you, the original Germans didn't like American jazz. They didn't like it. They didn't like... I think that was one of the Nazis' uh, rule. They banned um, modern jazz music or said modern jazz music at the time, like Louis Armstrong, uh, you know, people like that who were sort of like modern jazz because it was, it was bad. They got rid of it. They didn't like it. They saw, that as, um, they saw that as American propaganda, so they got rid of it. Yeah, exactly, because they thought, like, oh, that's mm. more American style. Yeah. So that's weird that they had yeah. that. So, um, so another question I want to answer on this podcast is, why was Nazi Germany? Before we get into, was Hitler on drugs? You know, we're just trying to give you a background here of Nazi Germany. So yeah. what? why was Nazi Germany called the Third Reich? Well... Nazi leader Adolf Hitler imagined his dictatorial regime as the historical successor to two great German empires, obviously the First Reich and Second Reich, before he Mm. claimed he was in the Third Reich. By claiming for his government the mantle of the Third Reich, Hitler attempted to position himself within the larger context of German and European history. In his mind, Hitler's thousand-year Reich, so he thought this Reich he was trying to impose would last a thousand years, would serve as the natural conclusion of a process that he traced back to the coronation of Charmelaine uh, Charmelaine in 1800. The concept of such a succession of Reichs had its origin just 10 years before Hitler's rise to power. However, and those living in the retroactively named First Reich, the Holy, which was a, the Holy Roman Empire, or the Second Reich, the German Empire, would not have recognized the, valid- the validity of such an um, appellation. So in 1923, German cultural critic Arthur Meuler van der Broek published Dast Das Dritte Reich uh, in 1923. Basically, in in German, that means the Third Reich, the Third Empire or the Third Reich. Mm. Written at the time when the Weimar Republic was struggling to contain revolutionary forces from both the right and the left, Meuler's treatise uh, exposed a conservative doctrine that called for the elevation of German intellectualism and nationalism. Both Marxism and Western-style democracy were regarded as impediments to Germany's rightful ascent to supremacy in Europe, and Meuler proposed that the realisation of the Third Reich, or final empire, would see the harmonious fusion of Germany's socialist to conservative movements, uh, positioning his theoretical Reich as the Third in a series, may have been an attempt to evoke El Hegelian concept of synthesis or an invo- invocation of Joe Joe um Joe I can't, I can't even say this Joe Achim of Fiore's uh, Trinita- Trinitan philosophy of history. Moyler's Third Reich was not, however, overtly national socialist in character. While Hitler did not explicitly mention the Third Reich in his political manifesto, Mein Kampf, early Nazi leader Otto Strasser claimed that Hitler was aware of Moyler's work and the phased Third Reich entered common use throughout Germany after Hitler became Chancellor in 1933. Right. It was, like, it was like a nickname, basically. It was like, you know, when he got into power as Chancellor. Yeah, it was like an underground term people yeah. started using. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then although Moyler had coined the name from one of the most feared and re- revo- um, 
uh, reviled regimes in human history. He did not live to see its creation. He committed suicide in 1923. In the the introduction to Das Dritte Reich, Moiler warned, this is from the book, by the way, I'm about to quote this text from. Um, Okay. The thought of a third empire might well be the most fatal of all the illusions to which they have ever yielded. It would be thoroughly Germany if they contented themselves with daydreaming about it. Germany might perish of her third right dream. So there you go. He actually warned in the introduction about it. So that the, bad fall, the fall of the third right could happen. Yeah. But I, I found that interesting how you said that um they thought that they could unite the right with the left, sort of on uh, you know the socialists with the sort of conservative Germans. Um I found that what you just said there, Bill, very fascinating. Um, also um I think it's very similar to uh, what um Mussolini tried to do because uh, when he got into power he tried to bring back the Roman Empire. That was sort of his thinking to towards it as well i think that's why yeah. the um, romans i'm sorry the romans the italians wanted a lot of north africa mm-hmm. and the germans so they could sort of re reuse the roman empire which is i find quite fascinating yeah um, well that's what i mean like the holy roman empire actually weren't were they 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 once the the roman empire transitioned into the holy roman empire they were finished basically the holy roman empire yeah. was just a disaster mm-hmm. absolutely we so, should yeah. definitely do a future podcast on that oh no we will for sure we will for sure um right so i'm just gonna give out i'm gonna because the the name of this podcast the title is was hitler on drugs so let's uh steer a bit more into hitler as a man and hitler as himself and we'll look into hitler so um let's do it so let's give uh, let's so he was austrian wasn't he though yeah yeah. he was austrian (laughs) the fact that hitler was austrian so he was born in Braunau. Um, in in April eighteen eighty nine, so he was born in an inn, you know, like a like a you know like a place to stay, basically, like a like a like another name, an inn is like another name for like a pub or like a hotel, or like a hotel, basically. Yeah, might you know, um, it might seem odd given his association with German nationalism. This affinity was not, however, at all unusual among Austrians. So there you go. I don't well, know why. I did. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a thing. We learned this in history in school because I did um, GCSE history. At the time, Austria and Germany, I think it's still sort of like this now, but Austria and Germany was because they were once part of the, um, this, it was it Weimar Empire. They were basically... Weimar Republic, yeah. Weimar Republic, yeah. They were part of that republic. So really, being born in Austria would be like how I'm like for example how I'm born Wales but yeah I live in Manchester England it'd be it's like that really so even though we both more or less speak the same language um, obviously you have Welsh there but the cultures are quite similar or how if you were to say go to Liverpool or or anywhere like that up north these northern cities the cultures are the same that's how it was for Austria and Germany if that makes sense yeah, um, yeah. so it didn't matter even though it said oh yeah Hitler was actually Austrian culturally there wasn't there isn't really a lot of difference between Germany and Austrian because they were once part of a country I know now they're separate but back then and I think when Hitler was sort of uh, a lot when he was like a young you know when he was you know when he was growing up in Austria it was basically um, 
I think it was Germany, basically, even though it was Austrian, it they had the same sort of culture as Germany. So they, what the difference wasn't really that different at the time. I know it is seemed to be now, but it wasn't at the time. No, it wasn't. Though. And uh, he was influenced by his by the tutelage of his high school teacher, Leopold Poitzig, who had strong yeah. German nationalist sensibilities. And he also taught the other SS member, Adolf Eichmann. Hitler grew to despise the Austro-Hungarian Empire, as you say, though, and express mm. his loyalty to only Germany. And like I said, a lot of people his age actually did that. And a lot of people like from Austria, like you said, though, they, you know, they expressed their loyalty to Germany. Yeah. And then in 1914, while living in Munich, Hitler managed to enlist in the Bavarian army before renouncing his Austrian citizenship in 1925, officially becoming a German citizen in his early 30s. See, I didn't know that. After all this time, I all know about Hitler. I I thought he was officially still Austrian. I didn't know he actually became a German citizen, so that's quite interesting. That is is very interesting, but I suppose it makes sense when... When he was in the schoolyard, he didn't enjoy the Austrian in the school time. You know, he didn't enjoy the Austrian and Hungary Empire, and he didn't want anything to do it. He wanted a German thing, so it makes sense that he would renounce the Austrian citizenship to join to be a German. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And despite yeah, it does. And despite the family moving from Brunei Amin to Linz when Adolf was three years old, the border town and the house that he was born in, but only stayed for a couple of weeks, have a lasting issue with their connection to Hitler. And then he was he was a frustrated artist as well. So <laughs> it's tempting to wonder how the different the twentieth century might have been had yeah. Hitler youthful aspirations to become an artist realized. So he failed so basically he he failed twice the entrance exam of the academy of fine arts in vienna in uh, one in 1907 and one in 1908 when he was noted that though he had some talent for architectural draftsmanship his human figures lack detail and character well that's quite interesting so they're saying there that he when he drew human figures they lacked detail and character but that's quite interesting psychologically though Dil, because if you know if he just looks at people without any detail or character that that's a precursor for what he might have done to the jews if you know that's where i'm going a, with. yeah that's actually a good point actually because that's kind of you could because you could make an argument that because you know hitler was actually a vegetarian and um, he, he, yeah, he banned all, all the animal hunting and like lobster boiling and he banned all that you know and um, there is there is sort of a um, there is there can be with some psychopaths. Um, they they're not they're not really a fan of humans, or they can't really connect with human in, or interact with human. But what they can do is they 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 love animals, if that makes sense, because yeah. they they know how to interact with animals. Because I suppose the social behavior or the social how you can socialize an animal is vastly different to how you socialize with a human so if you're looking at it from that perspective um of hitler being a psychopath you know he was he, they, 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 he obviously cared and had sympathy for animals but didn't for humans and that that, that is a trait that is actually a trait for some psychopaths you know that they don't really care about humans but they love animals yeah, it is definitely though. And uh, Hitler's interest in art did continue, however, so called degenerate, modern, abstract, and impressionist art was denounced as the product of Ju- Jewish and Bolshevik artists during the Third Reich. So there you go. 
the works some by fame uh some by world famous artists like Klee and Picasso were removed from German museums and placed in a condemn uh, condemnatory exposition exhibition so the works like like uh, just said there from Picasso they were classes condemnatory so yeah 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 so they were placed in one an exhibition for people like that Obviously, they still realise it was art, but it was still condemned. But they the didn't, Nazis they didn't also to view it, you know. Yeah, exactly. The Nazis also collected significant and invaluable pieces of art, often in the name of Kunstschlutz <laughs> art protection. <clears throat> I know I butchered that name, but <clears throat> so. But what I don't understand is why didn't they just sell the art to like different countries? Why did why did they have to put it in a different you know seller? Surely it'd make more sense to sell the art, you know, so they could you know um, increase their economy and stuff like that. You know, yeah, yeah, that makes that, that makes sense still. You know, because think about I'm I'm not I'm not saying you know I'm not telling an artist how to do their job or anything. I don't want you to say that thing that at all. But I'm just saying if I was a dictator and I had artwork that I didn't want people looking at, I would just simply get rid of the artwork. And also, I need to make alliance with foreign countries, so I would use that artwork and use that for foreign trade. It make more sense, surely. Do you know? Yeah, spoken like a true politician there, Dil. <laughs> well, you know. uh, yeah, yeah. He, this process was decreed by the Hague Convention respecting the laws and customs of the war on land in 1899 and 1907. <coughs> excuse me. But excess looting took place in occupied zones and the collections of targeted minorities were confiscated. A uh, Führer Museum was to be constructed in Linz, Austria, after the war, but some of the artworks were taken into private collections of Hitler, Goring and Goebbels. Uh, 1.4 million train carriages worth of art was taken, and up to 100,000 pieces are still unaccounted for. So all this... Uh, all this art that's uh, priceless, a hundred thousand pieces of it are still like, unaccounted for. Well, obviously they're just locked in people's saves and all. Like you know what oh, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, obviously some of them will be lost, but yeah. Hey, Bill, they're like the old-fashioned NFTs, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, old-fashioned <laughs> MFTs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he also uh, Hitler also li- once lived in a homeless shelter. Though don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I I watched documentary on Hitler when one of the film documentary where we were learning about the rise of the Nazis in high school. So when you're telling me this, Bill, it's actually it could bring you back. But I do, yeah, he was homeless because I think was he. This is when he was struggling to be an art. Was it after the war? Because I know he was in World no, War. No, no, it was just like you said there. He was um his failure oh, to make right. it as an artist he, yeah, you know, had yeah. grave financial consequences. Having yeah. had little success selling his paintings, postcards, and advertisements, his financial resources were so seriously diminished that he lived in a homeless shelter in Vienna in December 1909. He then yeah. lived in a public dormitory for men until 1913 when he received his father's inheritance and moved to Munich. So I don't know how much he received, but um, obviously it must have been an okay amount for him to move to Munich. <laughs> so, yeah, he, substantial, yeah. 
Yeah, he was wounded in the First World War. Actually, he was still um he was still an Austrian citizen in uh, the First World War, and uh, yeah. Adolf Hitler was accepted into the Bavarian army. But um, he served in the in- infantry at the First Battle of Ypres, if uh, if that's how you say it. Uh, the new where the new infantry division suffered casualties as high as one third to a half. <laughs> And then, do you want to hear, you want to yeah, hear yeah. thing about yeah. Hitler in World War One? So you know, on Christmas Day, when the whistles blew and they all got out of the trench, and the German footballers, sorry, the German army and the British army played football, and they swapped like presents over Christmas Day just one day because you know, obviously, Germans are still you know are Christians, and so Britain at the time we were still Christians, at, you know, at the time, very big Christian country. Um, Hitler was the only one who stayed in his trench and didn't mix with the British soldiers. Do you know oh, that? He? No, he was I didn't the only one. He kind of he saw them as traitors. The Germans were traitors for mixing with the enemy. That's bad. That, yeah, I didn't it's know that. that, isn't it? It just goes to show his his dedication. You know that he wanted to kill the British and whatever. But it shows. No, it also shows that his tendencies to be a psych. You know, the psychopathic tendencies didn't want to mix with anybody. Um, preferred, you know, was a vegetarian. Preferred dogs to people. And with what you said of the art struggle at drawing things, you know, you can see sort of you know drawing human features. You can sort of see a pattern here, can't you, Bill? You can. It's 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 a very yeah. it's a pattern. It's a it's a road to where he ended up basically, like yeah. he, he little pit stops on the road. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Uh, after this battle, he was made regimental messenger runner. It had been suggested that he was a relatively safe role, or it was suggested that it was a relatively safe role, largely taking largely taking place away from the front. Despite this, Hitler took a wound on his leg at the Battle of the Somme in 1916 and was temporarily blinded by mustard gas in 1918. Whilst recovering from the latter injury, Hitler heard the news of the German surrender and armistice. And I'm just I'm just looking at a picture here of of Hitler and uh, in his regiment so there is actually a picture of Hitler if you go on for the listeners if you go on if you go on Google Images and you type in Hitler in, uh, in World War One, there is actually a few images of him which is it's quite really? weird it's weird seeing him actually it's weird seeing him um, sit down like actually like before he was uh, the Fjord in World War 2 like it's it's mad seeing him Let's have a look at these. Hang on. So, um, uh, the one I'm looking at, Dill, has a little white dog in it. What did you type in? Hitler, World War One. Hitler. Type in Hitler, Bavarian Reserve Infantry Regiment Sixteen. I just typed in Hitler, World War One. Oh, whoa! These are the photographs of him. Oh yeah, here's one with his helmet here. Yeah, that, that's quite crazy, actually. To be honest, it's quite creepy that he, looking at him in the pictures of World War One, that he was responsible for all the millions of deaths that will come in the next twenty years or so. Mm. It's absolutely crazy because obviously, when you look at him as like the dictator Nazi, he's a big dictator. But there, 
you know, like the Emperor of Evil, but there he just looks like a regular troop, you know? Yeah. yeah. He looks like just a regular guy. But there, like, but we look at him in his Nazi uniform, you think of this big Emperor of Evil, of Nazi warlord, but there you just think, oh, yeah, he's just a regular guy. It's Well, that's the thing, Dale. Like you say, it's very easy to humanize him in a picture like that. But then you have yeah. to realize you have to kind of kick yourself and be like, no, like you can't do it. Like, I know, well, I know, it's mental. And then Hitler received two medals for bravery during the Great War. Yeah, the was he known as a war hero, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He received the Iron Cross second class in 1914 and the Iron Cross first class in 1918. It is alleged that the second award resulted from the prolonged time amongst higher ranks at the headquarters as a runner. Wow. So yeah, but um, here's the thing: he served time for high treason. So yeah, he did. He did, didn't he? Because he tried he to um, he tried to take over the government by having an armed, um, basically an armed revolution. Um, I think it was the beer nick, the beer hall. Munich push was it or something? Yeah, called? Dilling, that's exactly it. Yeah, two days after a failed coup by the Nazi Party, nineteen twenty-three. Yeah. Remember that it was the Beer Hall or Munich putsch. Uh, Hitler was arrested for treason for his leading role. Hitler was tried. <laughs> oh, gone. No, go on. I can say, but the judge was a Nazi supervisor. So when he they, they put him into like a really nice hotel cell, um, you know, it was really nice, fancy um, cell. It was like, uh, you know, you can ensuite toilets. It was a nice proper bed. I think he had chocolate. He had like chocolate. I think he was, they was waiting on hand and foot. Um, yeah, it was a very calm prison. He had a telephone there. He can read, he can write, write. It was a very open, it was like very casual prison because the, um, I think the, 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 um, the judge at the time was like, you, like I said, a Nazi sympathizer. I think a lot of um, government officials supported the Nazis and the ideology of, of a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they did. And uh, Hitler was tried by judges, like you say, they're sympathetic to his beliefs and given a five-year sentence with no forced labour and the right to re- uh, regular visitors. So he only served less than a year of his sentence and used the time yeah. to begin writing Mein Kampf. He's chronicle and he's doctoring. More than 5 million copies of which would sell by 1939. So obviously 5 million copies, you know, he basically got his doctoring and what he believed in into 5 million heads. So really, it, yeah, it, it was more like he was on holiday than actually prison then, wasn't it, Bill? Yeah, so basically what he did, was ba- I bet he loved being in jail because he had a chance to actually basically write his manifesto out and what he believed in. Yeah, in, uh, yeah. And he had Absolutely a chance to do it, yeah. Oh, yeah, Hitler's trial was highly publicized and he used it as a, uh, to propagate his ideas of right-wing nationalism and blame Germany's post-war problems on Jews, socialists and the French. He never, (laughs) yeah, and the French, yeah. He never personally won an election. When Hitler ran for president in April 1932, he lost to Paul von Heidenberg. However, in the federal election of June that year, the Nazi party won 37% of the vote, becoming the largest party in Reichstag. In the absence of the of a major government, Heidenberg appointed Hitler as Chancellor in January 1933. So I'll oh sorry, I'll I'll just explain there quickly. Yeah, yeah, you explain, yeah. Um so at the time, this is obviously after the German Empire, uh, the Reinstock, basically you had the president 
um, just so there isn't any confusion. In Germany at that time, you had the president and then you had the chancellor who was basically like second in command. So you had the private chancellor who was like the prime minister who would like report to the head of state, the president. So in this country, prime minister is Rishi Sunak. He reports to our head of state, which is the queen. Um, but um, in Germany, you obviously voted for the president as well. But um, in that in that instance, Hitler would have reported to the president there. So I just wanted to explain that. Uh, you carry on. No, thanks for explaining that, though. And uh, as chancellor, Hitler suspended civil liberties in February after a fire in the Reichstag, of which a com- communist was accused. Well, yeah. we don't know if that person really did it. Like, you just never we, know. I highly, it. yeah, we, we're not, we're unsure of a highly... Uh, um, German, uh, highly Nazi parliament. You couldn't tell if that was a communist or not, to be or honest. Or like an inside job, probably. Or inside job, it could have been a number of things, yeah. Having gained a, man- a majority in the Reichstag in March, the Nazi party were able to pass the Enabling Act, the Enabling Act, handling dictatorial power, uh, handing dictatorial power to Hitler, who could now enact laws without the Reichstag or presidency. Yeah. So basically, that would have been a bit like he didn't. He basic, obviously, in this country, it's a bit different because we don't vote for our head of state. But in America, that would basically mean that, for example, America, that the Senate and Congress could pass laws without the president having to sign off on it. Because in America, the president could block laws if they don't agree with him. You know, they can block block policy and stuff like that. Um, so, but with these acts, it was meant that Hitler was basically given more power than at the time the German head of state. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, just for the listeners um, at home, I'm reading, uh, I'm these facts have all come from um, historyhit.com. So, you know, I just want to men- make sure I'm uh, mentioning their name because they're the ones with these facts, you know, just in case... Uh, you, the listeners, you know, if you want to go read over these facts again, it's uh, www.historyhit.com facts about Hitler. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. And then Absolutely. the opposite, the, uh, you know, we have, you know, yeah, it is. The offices of the of presidents and chancellor were eventually merged in Heidenberg's death in 1934, and then Hitler became the Fuhrer. So the two different jobs basically were, f- were merged uh, to call yeah. the Fuhrer. That's basically what happened. Actually, <laughs> If you watch, um, does anyone watch Star Wars? Um, this is quite relevant. The prequels, which would have been from uh, Phantom Menace to, um, I think it's Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, Revenge of the Sith. If you watch those, um, if you take out the Anakin stuff about him becoming Vader, focus on Chancellor Palpatine. That's basically um, what he did. He was um, he was Chancellor. Then he took power of over the military because there was a war on against. Uh, I think it was Confederate thing, and then um, he kind of assumed the role as Emperor. Um, and if you look at the politics of Star Wars, they're exactly similar. They're almost identical to how Hitler came into power. Hitler took roles in in because the German need was going in the economic decline. He took emergency powers, and then he just sort of merged the two roles together and became Führer. I think. What does Führer mean, Bill? What if you look at the definition? Is it mean one mighty leader or something like that? But that's uh, basically have a look now for you. What happened? Yeah.
Yeah, basically just means leader. One mighty leader, yeah. But that's basically what Emperor Palpatine did. If, if you watch it, it mirrors Hitler's rise to power in Germany, which I find incredibly fascinating there. But yeah. Do you reckon uh, George Lucas read it like that? <laughs> well, yeah, because if you watch his... Um, if you watch Star Wars, as you know, the original one, like New Hope, um, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi... That's um, apparently that's the, if you look at the uniforms, that's very much stormtroopers and Nazi. That's based off German, uh, German, uh, the German World War Two, but also it's based off the war on Vietnam as well, uh, which was the first Star Wars was recorded in the seventies. So obviously, America as a society were much the culture was much with the um, against the war of Vietnam, especially people on the left. A lot of people on the left were creative, so they kind of made films which were sort of against not necessarily directly criticizing the war in vietnam but they would sort of say oh well, these are the thing but yeah no he he has a habit of doing that actually and um, make a lot of people filmmakers do where they criticize society by their films very fascinating way of doing it really yeah definitely and he was hitler was named times man of the year in 1930 it's crazy <laughs> isn't crazy. it you know, i don't know how how he got elected that but uh, there we go. I think it wasn't. No, wasn't it because he fixed the German economy? Um. I, yeah, I think it, it was something Must, to do with that. Yeah, was yeah, it, yeah. It was something. To, he fixed yeah, the German economy. It's important to know, however, that the award isn't always meant as an endorsement. Like, uh, it's in Time, Time magazine claims that the title is more of a measure of newsworthiness and impact, which explains why fellow recipients of the dubious accolade include Stalin, uh, Khrushchev, and uh, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, which is basically, you know, not the best type of people. So, yeah, I think no. that's quite interesting. That, you know, they say it's more newsworthiness and impact than actual good people. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but, but, but I think they're just saying that to kill their tracks. So, yeah, of course. Like, you know, Oprah's one time of the year as well. And obviously when she's read it, it was like, you know, because of her charity work and stuff like that. So I don't know. I just think, um, I think the reason why, why he might have won it was because he kind of, Put, he kind of took Germany out of a bad economic recession, basically. You know, um, you know, because you know it was it. You know, when Hitler did come into power, the the real reason why he did one of the reasons why he did come into power was because of there was economic problems in Germany. You know, a loaf of bread costs what about it was equivalent to three, four um, wheelbarrows of uh, German currency. Yeah, like you know. three or four hundred marks. Like yeah. I mean, people, it was so useless at the end. It was so worthless by then. The people were using it for wallpaper. That's how it wasn't valued at anything. So, obviously, I think they looked at and got, well, he's managed to pull, pull Germany out of a recession with the economic policy and, uh, you know, whatever. So, we have to reward him with that. Obviously, he, they, made a, uh, they made a terrible mistake by doing that. But, yeah, that's probably the reason why they've um, done that, really. But, yeah, I do get where they come from, and he's newsworthy as well at the same time. Yeah, he, it is. And then Hitler was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by an anti-fascist uh, Swedish legislator who never meant for it to be taken seriously. The nomination was withdrawn and Hitler banned Germans from accepting Nobel Prizes. It's <laughs> crazy. So, you know, even back then, people had quite the uh, sense of humour, really, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely us humans, you know, our sense of humour, even in dark times, it's always there. So yeah. he never actually visited a extermination con slash concentration camp, you know, though. Did he not? 
no, the, the Holocaust is surely the most appalling legacy of his rule, but it is, is extremely unlikely that Hitler ever actually visited any of the death camps. So basically, it's not documented that he ever did. So they say he didn't. Although his uh, culpability as the architect of the final solution is beyond doubt, it seems he was happy to conduct the genocidal project at arm's length. Yeah. And again, this kind didn't he have Jewish connections though? Yeah, I think his um I think it was like his great uncle was Jewish or something. Or like that. His great uncle was was Jewish, I, I believe. Yeah, I'm not sure. He like you said before, Dil, he championed animal welfare causes. Mm, um, yeah. It was perhaps surprising given the horrific cruelty he inflicted on the people of the world that Hitler was a keen advocate of animal welfare. There are ongoing debates surrounding whether or not Hitler, who was said to be uh, said to oppose horse racing and hunting, was a vegetarian. Animal welfare appeared in various Nazi legislatures. One piece which appeared to limit vivisection, the practice of operating on live animals for the purpose of experimentation and scientific research, is argued to have been less far-reaching than it was supposed to be. Either way, it is difficult to reconcile any apparent concern for animals from Hitler with the complete lack of compassion and humanity that he showed as a leader. That's what I mean. He was a psychopath. That's what he. That's what he. Um, that's what. That's what I was just saying. Start. You know. Um, loves animals doesn't like humans. And before any any of our listeners or anyone commenting and subscribe to say, see Hitler wasn't all bad. Um, he um, he banned animal experimentation. He used uh, P- Jewish people to uh, experiment instead in the concentration camps. He used those people for experiments. So. You know, he was just a psychopath, really. And I don't no. think the drugs helped them either. No, you know? no, we'll get on to the drugs. I've got a few more facts, but we'll get on to the drugs in a, in a minute. Mm. Adolf Hitler suffered uh, with his health. He had quite a few health issues. Uh, Adolf Hitler's health is the subject of considerable speculation and the list of yeah. complaints he said to have have, to have lived with. Well, I've got I've got a list of illnesses he had here, actually. Yeah, yeah perfect. Deal. Go, go ahead, mate. So... Let's see. So he had um, he had he had um, insomnia insomnia, so he couldn't sleep. Eczema. He had GI discomfort, which is uh, it's basically it's basically um, a stomach problem where your enzymes can't break the bacteria, can't break the food down properly. Um, so that would give him so that would give him GI spasms, so bad stomach aches. Um, trauma of his hands, uh, and he would have uh, he would have evidence of Parkinson's disease, disease because he couldn't um, he had he had problems like shaking and wouldn't really remember stuff. So he had uh, he had Park. It's shown that he had Parkinson's disease as well. So yeah. he wasn't a well. He wasn't no. really a well man, really. No, definitely not. And. Uh... Some historians suggest that he had syphilis, as you say, Dil. He was diagnosed by his personal phys- uh, physician, uh, Theodore Morel, which we'll go into a lot more when we talk about the drug stuff. Um, in the 1945 report to Himmler, Huntington's disease and Parkinson's disease, the first two of these conditions were denounced by the Third Reich. Of course. Of course. Syphilis was mentioned alongside prostitution as a cause of collapse in his Mein Kampf book. And Huntington's is a hereditary disease included on state lists for sterilization. Oh my goodness, that that's that's horrific. That is, yeah. 
sterilization of humans because they if they have Huntington's or, oh man, that's crazy. yeah that's what because he was against that because I think he was he, he you know he, he believed that he was also I think he believed with Down syndrome people as well he believed that they couldn't reproduce or I think of stuff like that or um, because they didn't want to pass on it they didn't want to risk passing the genes on so yeah. he was against he was he was against disabled people breeding basically um you know because he didn't want he didn't want he didn't want their genetics to where uh, weaken the German bloodline, I suppose. Yeah, means. like yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They'll, that's um, that's horrific. That is. It's yeah. also commonly alleged that he had monochrism, mono, sorry, monarchism, the medical condition of having only one testicle. Oh, Though yeah. the sources for this are questionable, the first was a second-hand account on an injury at the Battle of the Somme, and the second was a Soviet doctor involved in Hitler's autopsy. There you go. So we don't actually know if he had one testicle or not. You know, maybe that's what he was uh, insecure about. You know, maybe, maybe he was just constantly angry because he only had one ball. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you would be. I don't know. Because uh, there's a song, isn't there? There's a song about it, but we won't see it on the podcast because it's wouldn't be appropriate, would it? <laughs> no. Well, I don't actually know the song, but. Uh, you know, you could tell me after the podcast. I'll tell you after that. My dad used to sing it to me because that's what he used to sing on the playground and he was a young boy. Oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely primary school of uh, of uh, of your dad. What do you, what do you mean? He was 21. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I will yeah. tell you that afterwards. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, um, he survived numerous assassination attempts. It is not clear how many times an attempt was made on Hitler's life. But it's safe to say that he survived well over twenty assassination attempts. That's well. Me. I'll tell you one assassination attempt we learned about was um, this was towards the end of the war. I think this is when the um, Nazis they either were in the Soviet Union now known as Russia, um, and they realised they couldn't win, or they were getting pulled back. I think they were getting attacked by the Soviets. It was called um, you know Valkyrie, and basically it was it was um, it was it was. Uh, it was designed by, by Hitler's uh, officers at the time. There's a show about it. I think Tom Cruise is in it. He's the main character. And it was, we need to assassinate Hitler because he's going to basically kill everybody. And um, what they did was they um, he had a meeting. And what they did was they put a bomb underneath this table. Um, and it was like this big oak table. And it blew up. But because what Hitler did was he hid behind one of the... Uh, one of the legs of the table, and because it was made out of oaks, it protected it protected him from the blast. Um, but however, um, they said that that sped up his Parkinson's because of that thing and made him more mad. And then he, right. started, he started making more irrational and rational decisions because he knew he was losing and he just had this attack on him, which sped up his illness. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. So mm. he was quite. I think towards the end, he was a very rational person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even before he became Chancellor, Hitler was shot on several occasions. He was shot on mm. um, as early as 1921 in a Munich Beer Hall uh, brawl. A Munich Beer Hall brawl with political yeah. rivals. Yeah, yeah. Later, later attempts included bomb plots by Carpenter George uh, Elzer in 1939, who missed Hitler by 13 minutes, and German Army Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg in 1944. So his own, his own colonel wanted to kill him. I think you got to what people don't really, uh, I would say, appreciate but understand is that um, those assassination, assassination attempts will mess you up with psychology. 
the psychology of getting trying to get assassinated by those smart times, especially by his own colonel, and especially in uh, Valkyrie. That's what that was called. That that was the Operation Valkyrie. You know, it's going to mess you up psychologically and drive you more insane because you're going to become much more paranoid, especially with the drugs he was doing. And I had a mental condition of Parkinson's. It's gonna, he's gonna be constantly paranoid. That, oh my god, people are gonna kill me. Yeah, definitely. He's he's definitely, and that's obviously the drugs would have accelerated that. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So the last, the last uh, thing I want to say before we move on to the drug stuff is, um, his nephew William Patrick Hitler fought with the U.S. Navy. So this is going to probably surprise a lot of listeners who don't know this, but in 1911, William Patrick Hitler was born to Alois Hitler Jr., Adolf's brother, and his Irish wife, Bridget Dowling, in Liverpool. Do you know that, though? I didn't know. I did not know that. There you go. Um, Alois returned to the continent in 1914 to fight in the First World War, benefiting from his uncle's power. Having arrived in Germany in 1933, William held very uh, various jobs in the Third Reich, but supposedly engaged in blackmail to secure better posts. Nazi, Han- uh, Nazi Hans Frank alleged while awaiting execution that William had insulated in a blackmail letter that Ad- Adolf's paternal grandmother had been impregnated by a member of the Jewish household in which she had worked. Frank was tasked with investigating the Hitler family genealogy. So yeah, and then after fleeing Germany for the fear of reprisals after that, that he was a bit, um, they had a bit of Jewish in him. William returned to Britain where he wrote several articles but was denied work and entry to the armed forces because of his name. William visited the United States in 1939 at the invitation of publisher William Randolph Hearst. Obviously, that sounds German. Stranded by the outbreak of war, William Hitler appealed to uh, President Roosevelt and was cleared to join the US Navy in 1944. He was awarded the Purple Heart after being injured in action against his uncle's forces. That's, that's a bit crazy, that is. That's <laughs> insane. I knew, I did know about that, but like, I, it's just insane that Hitler's Get the war in people's yeah. heart as well, gee. You think, oh. you think we'd keep it in the family, wouldn't you? But. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't, you well, you know. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> there we go. Right, so let's, uh, let's get on to the, the title of this podcast. Main events of it. Was Hitler on drugs? And the short answer is, yes, he was. Oh, well, of course, yeah. <laughs> Goes out yeah. saying. It is well documented. It is well documented. So I'm just going to start off, Dil, and then I'm going to read what I want to read. And then uh, we you can come in after that and start, yeah. start talking about it. So <clears throat> Hitler was actually known as the Fuhrer of drugs. So basically where all the information came from was this this author called Norman Euler. He wrote a book called Blitzed, right? Yeah, obviously yeah, blitz, yeah, yeah. And obviously you're blitzed when you're on drugs. And uh, about the use and abuse of drugs in Nazi Germany. So basically there's there's a there's three there's a there's three stages to Hitler's drug taking and I'm going to explain each stage. So Stage one, from 1936 to 1941, Hitler was just on vitamins and glucose. Obviously, not on too hard drugs here. And uh, he met Theodore Morel, which uh, he employed as his personal physician in uh, 1936. Okay, 
Morel said to him, uh, and I'm I'm quoting. This is from the book of uh, Norman Euler, by the way. Um, this is, you know, that's the source where all this uh, information is coming from. Um, Moiler said to him, he's a doctor, said to Hitler, I can give you vitamin injections that will make you feel amazing and you will never get a cold. <laughs> right, so, uh, and then, so apparently Hitler would wake up in his PJs and uh, pull these PJs ar- uh, on his arm up and Morel would come in the morning and give him his quote-unquote breakfast, which was these injections. A liquid yeah. lunch, shall we say. <laughs> so, yeah, so... He was just on glucose and vitamins, apparently, up until 1941. But then, uh, in autumn 1941, war against Ru- uh, Russia turned bad for the Germans. He started taking loads of hormones and steroids. He, yeah. um, he had, like, uh, diarrhea, and he had loads of other bad things wrong with him. High fever. They call it the Russian flu, actually. So, uh, for the first time, he got the hormone injections from animals' pig liver, right? animal pig liver he got these hormones injections it, from i will and say it, this is, isn't that a sort of um counterproductive to his vegetarian beliefs yeah, it is he's getting it his is. animal thing from animal belief i'm just yeah. saying you know, it's kind but, of um a, these hormones actually work though because of, as you yeah. know the liver is the most nutrient dense piece of meat in any in the in nature yeah know? yeah of course um, he was back in. He was back briefing in the war room the next day. Uh, today, Dill, that's called doping. You know, doping yeah. agents. You know, you, I don't. Um, pig liver extract is actually. If you get caught using it, it's classed as doping in the sports world. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it is actually a thing. Like, oh, well, I did not know that. Yeah, I know steroids. That's that's doping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So then, in stage, so stage three is the summer of 1943. He turned to hard drugs then in July of 1943. Mm. He had a, he had a decisive meeting with Mussolini though. You probably yeah, know that. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Mussolini wanted to leave the Axis powers, right? But, um, Hitler was very depressed about it. And, uh, then he and then the next then he had another uh morel that day his doctor uh used a drug on him called oikudil yeah uh, which is a half synthetic opioid it's basically yeah. a cousin, it's basically a cousin of heroin basically yeah yeah uh i know i'm i might be butchering the name of it a bit but it's like it's called like oikudal or something like that yeah and uh he has a much stronger uh, one second it has a much yeah so yes yeah, so it has a much stronger momentum and a much stronger high than uh, than heroin and the reports from that meeting with Mussolini the, the same day after he took that was that he couldn't stop talking yeah and uh, yeah because he'd been mixed with with opioids and cocaine isn't it so it yeah kind of- and he was in such a euphoric mood he convinced Mussolini to actually stay with the Axis powers. <laughs> It's <laughs> crazy, yeah, that, isn't it? yeah. And then he because, takes. Um, sorry, go oh, on. because I've been looking at you know the meeting with Hitler and Mussolini, and obviously this was towards the end of uh, World War Two, so it was completely understandable that Mussolini had um, his reservations on leaving the Axis powers. But I don't think you know. I don't really think um, Hitler and Mussolini, even though the ideologies were similar and they were both sort of allies. Um, they never really got on. I think Mussolini found Hitler quite boring, really, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And um, they didn't really find... He, I don't think he found him that much charismatic leader. 
Leader. In fact, um, Hitler gained a lot of his inspiration from Mussolini, what he was doing with Italy. And I think that's how the Third Reich became a thing, because he looked over to what Italy were doing with Mussolini talking about the Roman Empire. And Hitler was like, oh, yeah, we could do that for the Third Reich. So, um, but yes, yeah, so in a lot of ways, I think Mussolini's ideology, I think Hitler kind of, I, I think it changed. I think Hitler fought after, you know, I think maybe it was in the middle of the war or towards the end of the war, Mussolini was a bit of a joke, but I think there was a stage where Hitler did really look up to Mussolini. Yeah, he did. And then after that, Hitler takes cocaine on 50 occasions and there were yeah, big yeah. doses of cocaine. Like there weren't small doses. Oh, yeah. And it was pure cocaine. It was sourced by the SS. Like well, it was, Bill, it, he's the Fuhrer. He's going to get the good stuff, isn't he? Like, yeah. yeah to be honest, he is. he's going to get some random off the street. He's going to get the bet whatever he wants. You know what I mean? <laughs> he did. He did. And at times he had cocaine and uh, aqua, uh, sorry, U- Uquidal, that uh, yeah. one I mentioned before. Yeah. In a period of a few hours hours of each other and obviously Dill as me and you know well, obviously not me as me and you know because because we, uh, we've researched this uh, yeah. that's called a speedball where he- you mix heroin and cocaine isn't it yeah. basically that's called yeah. speedball so yeah he was on speedballs all the time yeah quite and, crazy uh, really he, he used these drugs to keep his convictions that he formed when he wasn't on drugs originally and uh, you know just to keep convincing himself of what he was doing was right he left reality basically he was the new he was delusional and he was in a rational it happens with a lot of people I think I think what his doctor was was very much like I'll take this for the pain Adolf take this for the pain take this you'll be fine you'll be fine you need to win this war because that's what you, you people don't really understand with these dictators or very powerful people is they surround themselves with yes men so whatever they want they're whatever they believe it's right even though it isn't right um and i think with hitler was that they said we'll give you these drugs for pain so i think in a way i'm not saying you should feel sorry for hitler but i think hitler kind of felt quite alone being at the top and there was no one really he hadn't he hadn't really had a friend he could sort of argue sort of you know disagree with because he was just surrounded with yes men then he needed the drugs to sort of cope with that and also the copes of running the war and uh, running the war effort because he had a much more, um, you know, Hitler was much more, he was much more uh, running the war with Germany. He was one of the heads. He'd be, you know, in his in his bunker every day or, you know, wherever, like learning about plans and, you know, going for it. So I suppose it was a very stressful job him doing really was, you know. I don't think he, I don't think while he was at the war, I think the German economy, especially while he was in Russia, kind of bled basically and suffered because he was not uh, he was not looking after the domestics. He was too busy, you know, trying to evade you know foreign agents. He was so focused on foreign policy. I think he kind of neglected his domestic policy. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, all the you should we should read. Um, I haven't read this book, or I don't think you have, Dil. No, but uh, we, should really, we should read. We should read. We should really read this book, Blitz, by uh, Norman o- Norman yeah, Euler. Uh, it's really really interesting, you know. And um, so yeah, that's you know for the listeners, if you want to read that book, it's, it has everything about how the Nazis, the whole of the Nazi party, were on drugs, and you know to be doing such horrific acts of uh, humanity against humanity you'd have to be on drugs like well yeah obviously you wouldn't be thinking straight to do those things would you you know the thing, you the thing be- that you're gonna put up all these concentration extermination camps and kill i think it was six million jews it could have been more i don't know uh you must have been on drugs to think that was a good idea 
or you're just so far detached from reality yeah, yeah, that yeah. you think it's okay to do that you know 100 percent. but like i would not agree with you and more you must be so di- 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 disconnected from what is even real you must think yeah it's a good idea you know you know, who even has that idea to imagine the pain and suffering you've caused from that? You know, it's it's terrible, really. It is. It is. So yeah, that's that's um, all the information I have about Hitler on the drugs. I, he had three stages. He went from vitamins and glucose to steroids and animal injections. And then he went on to the hard stuff all the time. He was taken all the time. His doctor, his doctor was giving it to him all the time. So he's basically constantly high from the years... From 1940, for two years, basically, he was until the end of, from 1943, basically, to 1945, when the war ended, he was on all those speedballs. He's constantly in a stage state of being high. Um, and I think you could kind of see the decline in how he was the leader at that point. Yeah. The argument, because he, he'd become so, you know, like so disconnected from his people um he didn't really see where germany where you know i don't you know he wasn't even he was just either in his mansion or his castle you know he was never really he was never really around anymore like he when he was you know he was not the same person who started the beer hall push if that makes sense you know you know he was you know he was removed from all that um i've got a fact here i i, I haven't really got uh, as much as you but i do have a fact here um talk about Hitler's drug use. So according to Otler, M- Morel, who is Hitler's personal doctor, his notes suggest he gave Hitler in total some 800 injections. Really? So, yeah. So for those three years, every morning, f- injections of the speedballs, heroin, cocaine, you know, and also it makes perfect sense because he then kind of made a decision of how hit the Nazis were in Russia. That's why, if you look at it from a strategy perspective, it made no sense. Like he wanted Germany, he didn't know what to do. I think he was panicking that um, the Russians, he wasn't expecting the Russians to fight back, but they did. Um, you know, he did not really consider Russia the cold weather in Russia. I think that was one of his downfalls because you know he took he took a lot of like you know um, Eastern Europe quite easily, but he did not really um, consider because didn't he go to um, didn't he go past Siberia and try to, to get to Russia? And um, what what we learned in our history teaching was that um, no what no Russians Russians actually even go there because of the winter. You know it's just tundra, but they went through anyway. So when on the way out, that's when they got froze, basically. And I think I think he didn't really sit back and think, oh, he didn't really think logically. And I think that was down to the fact that he was on these drugs so much and also the Parkinson's mixed in and the fact that he was surrounded by yes, man. He was not really thinking straight. He just thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's evade Russia. Oh, don't worry about codes because he doesn't need to think about that, does he? You know? No, he doesn't. You know, it's... The only thing you're thinking when you're probably like on all those drugs is when the next amount of drugs are going to come in. Well, exactly. And I mean, I suppose, you know, when the Nazis did evade those European countries, it kind of gave him a high anyway. So he was chasing a high on the drugs and he was chasing a high on the battlefield. So I think he just got too addicted in not just drugs, but also in power, you could argue. argue. He loved being in power. And um, he was just chasing for the next big thing to, you know, get high on. 
really. yeah and you know power if we think of if we look at the word power and what it means power itself is a drug yeah power it itself is a drug when you don't have it think about it you want it when you have it you want more of it it is literally a drug. I've just thought of that now. I haven't quoted no, that. I've been quite yeah, proud exactly. of myself. But there we go. Oh, well done, bro. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a drug because you're constantly chasing for it. And you don't really like... Like, look, 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 look for example, Hitler. He was. He had these rules. He, he had these policies. The part, Nazi party weren't a majority of the Reichstag. He was chancellor, so he wasn't president, but he was second in, he was second in command. His own party had voted him to give more policies and more things. He then took control of Germany during uh, the financial problem, troubles they had. And then he became sort of president and chancellor, the Führer. Then after that, he started, you know, liberating these, you know, I say liberating brackets. He liberated places like Austria and all that to rejoin Germany. And then, and then he started wanting more countries in the German Empire. He wanted all of Europe. He wanted, um, he wanted, you know, it wasn't enough. And then he wanted Russia, and that was his biggest downfall. He bit off more than he can chew, but he was addicted to getting more power. Then wanting more drugs, and then the drug kind of fueled his ambitions. I think of getting more power as well, Bill. You know, he's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I can take Russia. No, no, no. You know, you know, he felt he thought, yeah, I can do that, no problem. But obviously, he can't. You know, no, no. Well, uh, I think that's it, Bill, isn't it? I, I think so. Un- yeah. Unless you've got anything else, any more facts or anything else to say? No, I haven't. I haven't really got any more facts now. No, it's been a very interesting uh, eye-opening episode, I think, this still, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. It's not been one of our longest ones, though, would you say? It was a bit more on the shorter side, but that's not Well, bad, it, it? No, well, well, it's still around one minute, one hour, ten minutes, so it's still quite yeah, long. We're doing it. Yeah, we're you, doing know, it. you know, we're not trying to force uh, to be long here. We're just trying to give the listeners the best content in whatever time frame we feel like is acceptable, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but um, um, I'd like to thank all the listeners for listening to this podcast. Uh, remember to check us out on YouTube, Spotify. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. Um, make sure to check us out. Give us a follow. Give us a like. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you all to the listeners for listening. This has thank been you. the Misunderstood yeah. World podcast. Was Hitler on drugs? Episode nine. I need to be clear. He was on drugs. <laughs> He was. He was. <laughs> right. Thank you very much, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Take care, guys. Peace out. Bye. Bye.